Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Praise God Almighty. Thank God for the Word. John's Gospel, Chapter 9, if you would, please. John's Gospel, Chapter 9. And Wednesday night is faith night. We talk about the principles of faith, some things that pertain to faith, and using our faith, and building up faith, encouraging faith, helping people to focus on faith so they can walk in the full blessings of God. John's Gospel, Chapter 9. And I want to talk to you tonight about principles in receiving from God. Principles in receiving from God. God has a storehouse of blessings. I mean, so vast and so big, so enormous that our minds can't even begin to fathom the wealth of God's riches. Amen. There is so much that He has an overflow. There's a surplus in heaven. But God's not stingy. No, He's not. I read somewhere in the Bible, somewhere around Psalm 84, somewhere around verse 11, where it talks about our God as a sun and shield who gives grace and glory. And no good thing will He withhold. God's not the withholder. No good thing will He withhold from them that walk uprightly. That's your God. And that's your Father. He's a sun and shield who gives grace and glory. He doesn't withhold any good thing from them that walk uprightly. God is not withholding any blessing. He's not withholding Jesus. He's not withholding healing. He's not withholding deliverance. He's not withholding victory. He's not withholding strength. He's not withholding the help that we need. Whatever it is that we need, God is not withholding it. Amen. God's the giver of every good and perfect gift. Hallelujah. And it's His desire that we all walk in the full blessings of the gospel. As a matter of fact, he told Abraham, Abraham, if you walk uprightly before me and be perfect, that is, mature in all your ways, you'll be blessed coming in, you'll be blessed going out, blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed in the basket, blessed in the store. I'll make you the head and not the tail. You'll be above only and not beneath. The enemy will come at you one way and flee in seven ways. Glory to God. You say, well, I tell you what, Abraham was blessed. You think Abraham was blessed. You better look in the mirror. Because the Bible says you've been blessed with Abraham. And if you be Christ, you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And you have a right to walk in the full blessings of the gospel of Christ. Boy, you better shout. Did you hear that? Now listen to this one. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. If you can't shout over that, your shouter's plugged up. Amen. Amen. Every spiritual blessing you've been blessed with, I've been blessed with. It's His good pleasure to give us the kingdom. He wants to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think according unto the miracle working power that's efficiently active in every single one of us. All things are possible to him that believeth, ask and you shall receive. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Isn't that what the Word says? Glory to God. God's not withholding anything. He's not keeping anything back. It's His desire to share His glory in all that, he's ha- all that He has, all of His wealth, all of His goodness, all His mercy, His love, His power, His ability, His might, His wisdom with His children. 
See, the problem, for the most part, is on the receiving end. I know we don't like to hear that. No one likes to hear that. We want to think the problem's with God. He's in a bad mood today. That's what people want to think. If there's any problem, it's not with me. It's got to be with God. That's not true. Come on, get real and get right with God. And if you're honest, you'll know the problem is not with God. God has given Jesus, and the Bible says in Romans 8, 32, if He gave Him, how will He not with Him freely give us all things? Isn't that what it says? That's exactly what it says. You see, but James gave us another revelation. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man think he shall receive anything from the Lord. Did you hear that? If thou canst believe, all things are possible. See, he told that to the fellow who was wanting the disciples to heal his son, to get his son delivered from this devil that had his son bound, trying to get him to commit suicide and all that. And the man was frustrated. And he went to Jesus finally and said, If thou canst do anything, help me. And Jesus said to the man, It's not if I can do anything, it's if you can believe something. That's what he told him. Look it up. If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. See, God's the giver of every good thing. God has already poured out of Himself and given of Himself to each and every one of us. All that He is and all that He has. All we've got to do is get on the receiving end and learn how to, by faith, receive what is already ours. Glory to God. That's why faith is so much fun. It's learning how to receive everything that God has already given. So faith should not be a struggle but a rest. Amen. So I'd like to share with you some principles in receiving from God. Principle number one is found in John's Gospel, chapter 9. And we're going to look at verse 1 in a moment. But the first principle is to answer any question that you might have that would hinder your faith. See to it that you answer any question and every question that you have that would hinder faith. You see, beloved, as long as there are doubts within our minds... It will hinder our faith and prevent us from experiencing the blessings of God. Receiving from God. See, receiving requires faith. Therefore, if we have questions and doubts that are unanswered, then what ends up happening is those hindrances prevent us from receiving what God has already blessed us with. Can you give me an illustration? Sure, right here. Look at John chapter 9, verse 1. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. His disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? There's one right there. In other words, what's the cause of this problem? Was it his sin? Was it his parents' sin? Maybe his uncle or his aunt? Somebody else sinned. Somewhere along the line, something happened and this man was born blind. They needed to know the answer to the question. They wanted to find out why. A lot of people don't know why they have problems. 
They don't know why they encounter certain situations and difficulties in life. Questions arise in the mind. Well, some people think that God's the cause of the problem, or He's the author of it, and He's behind it. And as long as they think that way, they're not going to have faith to receive from God. If God's the author of it, if He's the cause of it, if He's the problem, how in the world are you going to use your faith to rise up above God? Your faith is designed to operate with God, not to challenge Him. You can't challenge God with your faith. He's bigger than your faith. Amen. He's bigger than all of us put together here. I know it's hard for you to believe, but He is. He's bigger. He's not the cause of the problem. Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents. In other words, He's not the cause. They're not the cause. There's a reason for it. There's a cause behind it, but they're not the cause. But that the works of God should be made manifest in him, I must work the works of him that sent me. In other words, we see that he's blind, and now I have got to work the work of God in him. Now, I know that that disease was not the work, or that sickness or blindness was not the work of God. You say, how do you know that? Well, there's a very important scripture in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, that tells us that. Did this man not get healed? Everybody say, yes, he did. Well, Acts 10.38 says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. So that didn't come from God. That came either directly or in indirectly from the devil. And as a result of that, either the fall of man, satanic oppression, this man was blind. And Jesus says, I've got to work the works of God in this man. And the work of God was healing him, just as Acts 10.38 says. He healed this man who was oppressed of the devil, one way or another. Is God teaching me a lesson with this problem? See, a lot of people think that in their minds. They've been taught that from pulpits all around the country. God's teaching you a lesson. Well, what is he teaching you? Have you ever found out yet? That's something that we have to really be serious about. All that is is nothing but religious jargon. Amen. God's teaching you something. I had one person tell me he was in an accident, I mean a horrible accident, and said, God did it to get his attention. I thought, my goodness, who would want to serve a God like that? Lives were almost taken. People ended up in a hospital hurting badly because God needed to get a hold of their attention. I think there's a better way. If God really wanted to get a hold of somebody's attention, why didn't He just send an angel? That would have been a lot easier. A lot less painful too, amen? Now, people have been told that and so they bought it and believe it. You've got to answer these questions. We've got to help people eradicate their doubts, get their questions answered. No, God's not teaching anybody anything with an accident. God's not causing tragedies, catastrophes, disasters. He's not the force behind disease or death, premature death. I've had some people that have absolutely been devastated because a loved one died prematurely. And others tried to comfort them by saying, well, God just took them. No. 
The Bible says, with long life will I satisfy you and show you my salvation. It doesn't say that God does it. He's not the author of death. Death is the last enemy to be destroyed. God's not the author of those things. As a matter of fact, as I read through the Gospels, I found out that where people died prematurely, Jesus brought them back to life. He's the resurrection and the life. He's not the author of death. And we can go on and on and on and just share with you that that's not the reason why these things happen in the earth. I'll give you the reason. It's found right here in John's Gospel, chapter 10. God's not behind accidents, disease, premature death, disasters, catastrophes, calamities, or anything like that. In John 10.10, 10, the Bible says that thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Let's not get con confused about what God does and what the devil does. All the things we just mentioned, steal, kill, or destroy. Every single one of them. Accidents, disease, premature death, catastrophes. All those things steal, kill, or destroy. And Jesus said, everybody say, Jesus said. They come from the thief. Who is the thief? The Holy Ghost? No. Who is the thief? Satan and his bunch. Amen. And that's his purpose. That's why he's come. Has he come to pay you a visit? I guarantee you it's he's coming to steal, kill, or destroy. I know he made you a good offer, but I guarantee you he's come to steal, kill, or destroy. Now listen to the next part. I am come that they might have accidents. Tragedies, calamities, disasters, disease, weakness, frustrations, anxieties, worries, fears, frets. Oh, I am come that they might have life. And if you'll do a study, you'll find out that's life as God has it. And that they might have it more abundantly. I just did a teaching last Sunday morning and I think everybody needs to get a hold of. I mean that. Because you see where it says more abundantly? I like that. More abundantly. More abundantly than what? Adam fell. Satan designed his fall. It was his strategy behind it. And the work that he did in Adam, bringing sin death and all that it represents reigned from Adam to Moses. Then through Moses the law came and the awareness of sin abounded. In other words, man then was made more aware of his sin and inability to please God, more aware of death and its reign or tyranny over the human life. Well, as Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy through the reign of death, Jesus said, I came with life so that I can more abundantly reign for where sin and death reigned or sin abounded, grace did much more abound. If sin is wide and deep, praise God, grace is wider and deeper still. And what God did in Jesus super exceeds anything Satan did in Adam. That doesn't make you run. Something's matter. Glory to God. Did you hear that? I came to give you life more abundantly than the devil comes to give you death. 
For this purpose was the Son of Man manifest that he might undo, outdo, and overdo the works of the devil. And he did it. I've got news. He did it. And you and I, through his blood, glory to God, can overcome. And the word of our testimony. No, tragedies, calamities, and all those things, they don't come from God. They come from the devil. This is the divine line. The dividing divine line between what God does and Satan does. He came to give us abundant life. And he wishes above all things in 3 John 2 that we prosper and be in health even as our soul prospers. That's God's desire for us. So in answer to the first question, what... What does this come? Where does it come from? What is behind this? The force behind it? Why am I encountering this difficulty, this situation, this problem in my life? There's your answer right there. You've got an enemy out there who doesn't like you. I know that's just going to make you sad, but he doesn't like you. And the sooner we're aware of that, the better off we're going to be. He doesn't like any one of us. Why? Because we left his kingdom. We, we hooked up with God. And he can't stand that. Amen. He can't stand that. Well, we don't really let it bother us, do we? No. We take our place. So Satan is either directly or indirectly behind death, disaster, disease, adversity, calamity, any kind of a situation that is contrary to life. Number two. The second principle in receiving from God. And that's found in Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19. And the verse says that God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. If he spoke it, he'll do it. If he said it, he'll make it good. In other words, number two is discover what God says about situations or whatever it is that you're encountering in life, find out what God says about your situation by going to His Word. And if you've got God's Word for it, praise God, you've got a foundation for faith. Find out what He said and base your faith on that. Look at Numbers 23 and verse 19. God is not a man that He should lie, neither the Son of Man that He should repent. Hath He said, and shall He not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? If he said it, he'll do it. If he spoke it, he'll make it good. Find out what he said, and then base your faith on that. You cannot receive from God without knowing what he said. And too often people fail to take this step and follow this principle. What did God say about your circumstance? What did God say about your situation? Go to Romans chapter 4, if you would, please, while I'm saying this. What did God say about your problem? Are you encountering the storm of bereavement? What did God say about that? Find out what He said about it. Are you attacked in your physical body? Find out what God said about that. Are you weak? Find out what God said. He said, let the weak say, I'm strong. Are you finding yourself in need of something? Find out what he said about answered prayer. Do you need supernatural intervention? Find out what he said about it. That's exactly what he wants everyone to do. 
Step number two or principle number two is find out what God has said about your situation. And then, of course, lay a foundation for your faith. In Romans chapter 4 and verse 21, Abraham was fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Now listen carefully. Jeremiah 1.12 says that God watches over His Word to perform it. God does not watch over anything else but His Word to perform it. He doesn't watch over our religious tradition. He doesn't watch over our mechanical expressions. He watches over His Word. If He finds a soul that takes His Word to heart, if He finds one individual in the corner of the earth somewhere who takes Him at His Word, believes in its integrity, and is willing to bank on it, to stake His life on it, God watches over His Word to make it good. He is looking for individuals who take His Word serious, who believe in the power and integrity of the spoken or written Word of God. Abraham was fully persuaded that what God said or promised, in essence, he was able also to perform. Able means he didn't lack in any ability, power, resources, strength, or might to bring it to pass. Even though what God said goes far beyond human reasoning or understanding, he was fully persuaded that he was not dealing with a being who was limited to finite resources. Did you hear that? He was dealing with a being who had all the resources imaginable, possible, at his disposal. He's dealing with God. Nothing's too difficult for him. Doesn't matter what he said. He is capable of bringing it to pass. Beloved, let that register upon our hearts and minds. Say with me, my God is able to bring to pass whatever it is he has said. No matter how difficult it appears to be to me. He's able, saints. He possesses the resources. So he was fully persuaded that what God said he would perform, and that was his foundation for faith. See, beloved, the secret to faith is discovering what God has said about something and then believing it and acting on it. That's a secret to faith. Find out what he said about your situation. Find out what he promised in his word and say, hey, what God said is. And that's all there is to it. Number three, and we might sit here for a while, is found in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8, the third principle in receiving from God involves something called meditation. And it's sad to say that many Christians shy away from meditation 
because of Eastern religious practices and mind science practices. Beloved, there's always going to be a counterfeit, but the counterfeit does not make null and void the real. If God said something about meditation, then we've got to heed what He said. Amen? And take it seriously and take it to heart. Look at this verse. Verse 8, Joshua 1. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Receiving from God involves eradicating all doubt by answering all questions. It involves establishing ourselves on the solid ground of God's Word, basing the foundation of our faith on the integrity of God's Word. And then, through the process of meditation, we allow a work of God to take place within us that lifts us out of the realm of the natural into the realm of the supernatural. Meditation is an important part of our experience in God. And without it, we are going to limit God's activity in our lives. Why? Well, first of all, let's answer this question. What is the purpose of meditation? Meditation is an inward fellowship that transforms theological dogma into radiant reality. It transforms theological dogma into radiant reality. For example, he walks with me and he talks with me can be descriptive of my everyday life as a Christian or it can be a song I sing on Sunday morning. Did you hear that? Every single day he walks with me and he talks with me. And it's not a song I just sing on Sunday morning. Why? Because I practice the law of meditation. And by it, a transformation took place in my heart. I used to just sing the song. But now, when I wake up in the morning, I can really say, he walks with me. You walk with me. Wherever I go, you are with me. And you talk with me. I hear your voice. I know the voice of the Good Shepherd. The voice of a stranger I will not follow. Glory to God, it's a reality. It takes a theological dogma and transforms it into a reality. It has become a living thing on the inside of me. How does that take place? I believe it ignites within us a fire that transforms. A fire that purifies and removes anything or consumes anything impure. That's what it does. You see, there is a work of God that takes place in our inner being, the inward part of us, through meditation that takes 
that which is impure and consumes it and makes pure the very thoughts, attitudes, and desires of the heart. It takes the Word and makes it a living thing inside us. And you know, beloved, you can't do that for somebody else. You can't eat for someone else, you can't drink for someone else, and you can't meditate for someone else. You begin to meditate, and a fire begins to burn inside you. Oh, what a work that takes place in your innermost being. Transformation. I remember one time I was, this is an example, I was meditating on a certain truth from the Word of God. It's a verse that says, Jesus has been made unto me wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. And I just kept mulling that over on the inside of me. I kept focusing in on those four words. Jesus has been made unto me. Jesus is made unto me. Jesus, you're my wisdom. You're my ability to use knowledge and understanding in a practical way in life. You are my righteousness. You are my standing before the Father. I stand complete before the Father in you. I am right with God. I have peace with God. I am pure before God because of you. You, Jesus, are my righteousness. And I began to think about my sanctification. You are my separation from anything and everything that defiles. You separate me from all impurity and you make my life pleasing to the Father. It's all found in you, Jesus. And then you are my redemption. And oh, I thought about that deeply. You bought and paid my ransom. Jesus, you are my complete deliverance out of the complete control of the powers of darkness. You are my freedom. You're my way out. You brought me out by your blood. You are my redemption. I'm telling you, I began to meditate that until all of a sudden my spirit man was so overtaken by those truths, I just began to shout. I took a leap down the stairs and shouted, Glory to God, Jesus is my wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Somebody else look at you like, Oh, but something happened on the inside of me. Do you know what I mean by that? Something on the inside of me went off. It clicked. Yeah, I said, I see it. I see it. He's my wisdom. He's my righteousness. He's my sanctification. He's my redemption. I've been bought and paid for. I'm right before God. I'm set apart. I am holy before God. Thank God I can walk in the light of it because He's my wisdom. See what meditation does? It makes real to our spirits that which can only be religious in another person's life glory what are the basics of meditation write these four thoughts down the basics of meditation include and beloved make this a part of your daily practice and you'll see some changes in your life that are absolute, absolutely revolutionize your faith life the first basic is surrender you know why it's difficult for some people to meditate? Because they don't want to surrender. Surrender what? You ready for it? 
their anxieties, their tension, their worries, fears, frustrations. How can you get calm enough? How can you get settled enough to meditate when you've got all this busyness going on in your mind? I like to teach meditation like this. Take the problem and see how you handle the problem. Watch how you talk about the problem, think about the problem, rehearse the problem, give it to another person detail by detail by detail by detail and go over and over and over and over and over and over the problem again and again until finally when you get it all done, that's meditation. Now shift it over into the realm of God and stop meditating on the problem, start meditating on the solution. What do you mean? My goodness, you just rehearsed the problem. You, you, you rehearsed the classic case of meditation with the problem. See, the problem is we don't want to let go and surrender. You've heard the expression, let go and let God? We don't want to let go up here. Keep it in the mind. Hold on to it here. We think that if we hold on to it and think about it long enough and talk about it long enough, maybe we can do something about it. But you know what? We're no match for it. No. Surrender yourself. Let go of your anxieties. Let go of the tension, the worry, and the care, and the frustrations and invite the presence of God into the sanctuary of your heart. He said, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, I'll come in and sup with him and he with me. You say, isn't he talking about sinners? No, he's not. He's talking about believers. He's writing to the church. He told them, you're keeping me on the outside looking in. I want on the inside. You say, well, how are we doing that? Because the anxiety, the worry, the fr people are so full of all that stuff that they have no room for Jesus. He says, I want to come in and commune with you. That's what meditation is. I want to talk it over with you. I want to discuss this with you. I want to give you the game plan. I want to give you the solution. But you're so caught up in the problem, you're so busy with the problem, I can't get in. I'm knocking, but I can't get in. Why? Because everything up there is louder than my knock. All the confusion, all the frustration, all the anxiety, all the worry is knocking a lot louder than I am. I won't force my way in. He said, but if you'll open up that door, I'll come in. Invite him into the sanctuary of your heart and think about the solution. Number two is found in Psalm 46 and verse 10. And it's called surrender. I'm, I'm sorry, it, it's number one was surrender. It's called be still. Boy, I'll tell you, we can learn a lesson right here. Why does God have to make things so hard? Be still. Who, me? My mind goes a thousand miles an hour. You're saying, be still. I've got thoughts flooding my mind faster than a machine gun can fire bullets. And you're talking about, be still. My goodness, I don't, I'm not even still when I sleep. You should be in some of my dreams. Glory to God. I'm not going to meddle right there. I'm going I'm to be good. I was going to say that women, when they wake up, wake up, they can give you detail by detail what took place in their dreams. A man says, I had a dream last night. 
A woman says detail by detail, every act, every scene, everything. I'm not, but I'm not going to say that. In Psalm 46 and verse 10, it says, Be still, be still, be still and know. Be still and know. I don't think you can be still without knowing. Come on, let's put this together now. You can't be still on your own. You've got to know that He's God. You're dealing with God. But you don't understand, brother, the problem. Wait a minute. I said God. You said the problem. I said God. You said the problem. I said God. You said the problem. See, the problem is your problem is bigger than God to you. He's the problem solver and he's bigger than the problem. But we've got to be still. Meditation includes being still and knowing that He is God. You see, beloved, this sets the Spirit free and gives access to spiritual interaction with the living God in the sanctuary of your heart. That's what it does. As you are still and know that He is God. See, here's what the psalmist said. Look at verse 1. God is my refuge and strength, my very present help in trouble. Therefore will I not fear, though the earth is removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Well, what could be worse than that? Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah. Think about it. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her and that right early. Hallelujah! If we could just be still and know that He is God and He's bigger than our problem and look to Him and invite Him in the sanctuary of your heart and say, Oh, Father God, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, and the waters there are roar with a mighty roar. It doesn't matter because underneath me are your everlasting arms. You'll never leave me nor forsake me. And all this interaction is taking place in the secret chambers of your heart. And God is at work in you. An exchange begins to take place. All of a sudden, something rises up on the inside of you, an inner strength on the inside of you that puts a spring in your step. Hallelujah. I shout in your voice. And you say, thank God, thank God, I don't have to fear anymore. I don't have to worry anymore. I don't have to be anxious anymore. I don't have to fret anymore because my God is at work for me. See, be still. Ever try to get somebody still who's running in their emotions and their emotions are overflowing? It's not an easy thing to do. And that's why he says, look, be still and know that I'm God. Hallelujah. And then number three... And you'll find this reference in Matthew 17, 5. Are you ready for this one? I don't know if we can bear it. My goodness, look how much we're asking. For surrender. Now, brother, if I don't, if I don't worry, then what am I going to do? Be still. Come on. Be still. Yes, surrender. Be still. Know that he's God. You ready for this one? Listen. Listen. 
listen. Remember there on the Mount of Transfiguration when there appeared Moses and Elijah with Jesus and they were transfigured right there before the disciples? There was a cloud, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye Him or listen to Him. You see, there's a transfiguration that, take, that takes place inside you when you surrender and be still and know that He's God. There is an interaction that takes place in the secret chambers of your heart when you're still and know that He is God. And in that place of quiet stillness, we are to listen. And you see, beloved, when we practice listening, we learn to know His voice. And we give the Holy Ghost opportunity to reveal to us or express to us what it is that we should do or say. This invites the interaction that God wants to have with us inwardly. This enables Him to take His Word and quicken it and make it a vital reality. Listen to Him. How do we listen? Oh, it is so necessary to get the Word in us because Jesus is the Word. You see, we're more able to listen and capable of listening through meditation. And then finally, it includes learning. I'll never forget the time that I was in dire need. Turn to Colossians chapter 3, if you would please, in verse 15. While I'm saying this, I'll never forget the time when I was in need financially. I knew how to receive from God in other areas of my life, but I was just learning about how to receive from God financially. Actually, I was just learning because I didn't know. And to a degree, there was concern because I never missed payments and I didn't like missing payments, etc., etc. I don't think anybody does. And I was playing ball one time with Lisa when she was young and we were throwing the ball back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I was thinking about meditating on the Word of God as we were doing this. And all of a sudden, I heard on the inside of me, you've got to believe you receive your financial need met just like you believe you receive your healing. You know, I learned something there. I learned a tremendous lesson I had to learn the principles of faith and by learning those principles I can learn to receive whatever it is I need from God. Not just in one area. You must believe you receive your need met financially before you ever see it. I learned something that day through meditation. I learned a mighty lesson in faith. And I have lived by that same mighty lesson ever since I heard that. You have got to believe you receive before you can have it. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15, it says, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. This is something you're going to learn. Through meditation, you will learn how to allow the anxiety of the devil 
or the peace of God rule in your heart. Did you get that? Are you meditating on the problem? Are you consumed with the problem? Well, that anxiety will rule your heart. But are you meditating on the problem solver? Are you listening to what God has to say? Are you dwelling on that, thinking on that, meditating on that, being still and knowing that God is on the inside of you, interacting with you, showing you the way of escape and way out? The peace of God will rule in your heart. And God will instruct you to do something out of your spirit in that interaction that will set in motion that which is necessary for you to receive from God. See, I followed that and I did exactly what God said and I received a miracle, a financial miracle by doing that. Which also you are called into one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. See, that's exactly what you're doing. You're allowing the word of Christ to dwell in you richly in all wisdom. So through meditation... We learn to be doers of the Word of God. You can't receive from God without being a doer of the Word because He watches over His Word to do what? To perform it. And that's why He told Joshua, Joshua, meditate the Word by day and night, not the problem. Don't focus on the problem. You see, when you focus on the Word, you do two things. You establish something within and you set in motion laws without. You set in, in motion on the inside of you an interaction with God that feeds your spirit, that teaches you and shows you exactly what to do. And then as you speak that out in faith, you set in motion that which is going to enable God to bring into the natural world the thing you need. So here we see meditation plays a vital role or part in our learning to receive from God. We've got to meditate the problem, I mean the answer to the problem and not the problem the problem solver and not the problem. And if we can't get still and learn to know that He is God, we've got to teach ourselves to do so. It's not an easy thing to do, but we have to do it. And then fourthly, have a burning desire for what you want from God. I want you to turn to Mark's Gospel, chapter 11, if you would, please. You see, what is it that you desire from God? Do you need strength? Do you need a game plan to carry out so that you can be led on to victory? Do you need healing in your body? Do you need a financial miracle? Do you need whatever, a greater presence of God in your life? Whatever it is that you need from God, whatever it is that you long for from God, there's a key word in this verse that will really help us achieve our goals. Verse 24, Mark 11. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you, everybody say with me, desire. desire. Have a burning desire for what you want from God. I'm talking about a desire, a longing, a craving, a yearning. A craving. A yearning. It's like someone who is in a dry and thirsty land where no water is and he is yearning for a drink, longing for a drink, doesn't want to do without it, refuses to do without it. 
See, sometimes what people do is that they just try things and not really desire things. Paul had longing desires to be like Jesus. A yearning within his being to be used of God to demonstrate his love to a lost and dying world. What do you desire? A desire does not mean that I can take it or leave it. No, a, 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 a desire is a longing for something that you refuse to do without. This is my desire. It's burning within me. I must experience the reality of whatever it is I'm longing for. The same thing was said by John, the Beloved, in his epistle when he said in 1 John 5, 14 and 15, this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according unto his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, then we know we have the petitions, listen, we desired of him, that we long for. It can't be a take it or leave it attitude. I long to be healed. I long to get out of debt. I have a desire to see my children serve God, love Him all the days of their lives. It must be something that you long for. You know why? Because if you long for it, you will not give up in the face of discouragement. You will not let go just because the pressure is on. You'll not cave in. You will not faint just because of the pressure of circumstances. You will have a no-quit attitude that says, no, 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 I desire more of God. I desire His healing power. I desire to know His voice. I desire to know His will. I desire to walk in His game plan for my life, to fulfill His will. I desire you will have obstacles, roadblocks, all kinds of hindrances coming your way that sometimes seemingly are insurmountable. But praise God, if you really desire the best outcome for your life, you'll face those insurmountable obstacles seemingly as opportunities for God to be big in your life. And you won't take no for an answer because it's not God that you're speaking to. It's the mountain that stands in your way. God's not withholding your blessing. Satan's hindering it. And finally... Turn with me to Romans chapter 4, if you would, please. And beloved, hallelujah. I know you've heard this over and over again. But you know what? We need to hear it again now. Hallelujah. Finally, see yourself with the answer. See yourself with the answer. See yourself with the answer. And call things which be not as though they were. See yourself with the answer and call things which be not as though they were. See yourself with the answer and call those things which be not as they were. Don't call things as they are. Anyone can do that. You don't understand. I can't pay my bills. That's calling things as they are. You don't understand. I don't have enough wisdom. That's calling things as they are. You understand, I'm so very weak. That's calling things as they are. 
You don't know, my child's not serving God. That's calling things as they are. That's not what faith is all about. That's not what the Word of God reveals faith as being. That's not how you receive from God. Anybody can call things as they are. Verse 17, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they are. If your child's not serving God and your desires for your child to serve God, calling it as it is is not going to help you. Saying, my child's not serving God. You're not serving God. Why aren't you serving God? He knows it. You know it. God knows it. The devil knows it. And all you're doing is siding with it. But when you start saying, I see you serving God, I've been on my knees. I've gone to God in prayer. God is at work. You may not like it. You may not know it. But I'm telling you, God is at work in your life. I call you serving God. I see you serving God. I say you're serving God. You see what you're doing? You're putting God to work. You're unleashing spiritual laws. You're setting things in motion. You can't pay your bills. You know that. I know that. The devil knows that. God knows that. And all you're saying is there's not enough finances, not enough resources or whatever. Well, stop saying that. And start putting God to work. See yourself with the answer. You've been on your knees. You've been in meditation. You've found the scriptures that pertain to your situation. And you set some things in motion and you start calling your, yourself debt-free. You ca start calling your, your bills paid in the name of Jesus. Instead of saying, I can't pay this bill this month, you start saying, I thank my God that He is my provider. Father, I thank You that I'm able to and capable of paying all my bills on time. I call myself debt-free. I see myself debt-free. I say I'm debt-free. Calling things which be not as though they were is acting like God. God always functions that way. He always operates that way. Who against hope believed in hope, verse 18, that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken. That's what God said. That takes us all the way back to what God said. Listen, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. See, God said, you'll have a child. They both said in the natural, that's impossible. They actually did consider their body, but this is the, the, the better translation here, or understanding of it. They considered their body and then decided that even though their body says they can't have children, if God said they could, they can't. Next verse. He staggered not at the promise of God through what? See, unbelief. They didn't stagger at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. You know, strong faith always gives glory to God. They were fully persuaded that what God promised, He was able also to perform. So here, here it is in a nutshell. We see ourselves as the mother and father of a multitude in many nations. We call ourselves the mother and father of multitudes of many nations. Abraham, you are the father of many nations. Sarah, you are the mother of nations. Abraham, you are the father of nations. Sarah, you are the mother of nations. I call you the father of nations. I call you the mother of nations. 
What were they doing? Cooperating with God. They saw themselves with the answer and they said it. Called things which be not as though they were. And in the process, God did a work in their bodies. They conceived, had a child, and you know the rest of the story from there. That's how God operates. I'll tell you something, beloved. There is a law that God knows of called faith, calling things which be not as though they were, that brings worlds into manifestation. I'm telling you, and you know what? He didn't give dogs the opportunity to apply that law in their lives. He didn't give cats the opportunity or the privilege of participating in that kind of dynamic expression of faith. He gave human beings, individuals like every single one of us, the privilege to study, to discover how to operate in a law that brought this world into manifestation. We are privileged to be able to do so. Satan has perverted that. He wants to get us to start calling things as they are and keep us doing so and not calling things that be not as though they were. Because calling things that be not as though they were is cooperating with God. Calling things as they are cooperates with the devil. So start seeing yourself with the answer and call things which be not as though they were and get so caught up in giving glory to God for things that be not as though they were that when they materialize, you may not even know it at first. It'll happen and you'll rejoice and be glad. Hallelujah. Let's all stand together before the Lord. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.